Well, good afternoon. We, we transitioned from morning to afternoon, so that's uh, something we'll have to figure out. We always have to have to have time with that. Uh, some of who are used to morning, uh, but uh, good good afternoon, as I said, and. Um, Definitely want to welcome you if you're visiting with us. We are uh, trying a new facility, and it's a little bit messy, and uh, we pr- pray you can bear with us, and uh, hopefully we can start a little bit earlier every Sunday. Uh, Matt Ritchie's uh, grandfather passed away in Australia, just right when he arrived, his grandfather passed away, uh, which is quite sudden, uh, so just keep Matt in your prayers. He's off with the students this weekend at the retreat. Uh, and then sadly, uh, Lorna and Elaine's brother John has been sick for a while with cancer. He passed away as well. Uh, later in the week. And so I just want to pray for them real quick, uh, Elaine and Lorna, uh, very beloved sisters, uh, and for their family. And then we'll go ahead and uh, make uh, one last announcement and look, if we can, at Luke 9. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for the way you comfort us and care for us, uh, even as Tim and Linda were sharing the communion. Many people have lost family members uh, in the last year in our church, and uh, we really uh, want to lift up uh, Lorna and Elaine right now, God. Uh, great, great lights in our church, and uh, I know they're really hurting with the loss of their brother. Pray you can be with them and be with their family and help us as disciples to really wrap our arms around them. I pray, God, that you can also guide us here as we uh, announce uh, the uh, nomination of deacons today. I pray that the church can really uh, search their hearts and make sure they're with this this idea. And I do pray, God, you can really uh, speak uh, through, through your word to us all today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Well, I'm excited to announce... Um, uh, the, the, the Bible, I'm going the wrong way. The Bible uh, says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 8 and 13, we've studied this out a while back on the idea of deacons. It says, Deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife. And must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well get an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. We studied out this passage along with Acts 6 as a church at several midweeks. We've had uh, several discussions, another lesson from a deacon couple in London, uh, the Akinlades, at a family group leaders meeting. Uh, and so we've been having a great discussion and study and contemplation on this idea of appointing deacons in our church. And so I'm excited, after a long process of getting feedback from the church, I'm excited today uh, to nominate uh, the following men uh, and their wives. Uh, Scott and Claire Bryden, Tim and Linda Francis, Walter and Roberta Siegwart, and Roger and Sybil Spence as deacons, the men, and deacons' wives. Um, and so I'm asking the church uh, to consider this idea based on the biblical qualifications of 1 Timothy 3. Uh, but I do, I do want feedback. If you have concerns, uh, if you have questions about uh, uh, these people serving in these roles in the church, please see me privately about that. Uh, uh, the Bible says there in 1 Timothy 3 it should be tested. Uh, so we want the church to be behind uh, this appointment of deacons. Uh, and so please see me if you have any questions or concerns uh, privately on your own time. On the 17th of November, I've also asked the church to have a day of fasting and prayer. Whoever can participate can fast and, and, and pray and make sure God is with this plan for the church. Uh, we have been uh, trying to strive for more and more biblical leadership, and I believe this is a great step in, the, in that direction. Uh, I do believe it's the beginning of appointing deacons in the church. I do think more people will be added later on that perhaps are on this list right now, but that certainly is what the Spirit has made clear to me uh, as the evangelist um, at this time. And so that's a very exciting step forward, I believe, for our church uh, as we head towards uh, more and more deacons and elders in the future as well. I believe we all want that, and I believe God is going to use uh, this uh, in, that, in that direction. Uh, so yeah, that's exciting. Um, and it's also exciting to study God's Word. So let's jump into Luke 9 here if we can. Uh, we did uh, Luke 9 last week. We jumped back in uh, with Jesus uh, challenging our vision. 
right? You know, who, who is He and, and will we follow Him? And it was really a call to discipleship uh, in many ways. Uh, and so we're going to pick it back up here where we left off last Sunday in Luke chapter 9 and uh, verse 28. Let's read together, please. Luke 9, verse 28. About eight days after Peter's confession, right? Jesus' declaration that was messianic. It says, uh, he took Peter, Jesus, John, John, Jesus took Peter, John, and James, sorry, with him and went on to a mountainside to pray. As he was praying, it says, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. Verse 31, they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, it says, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shutters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Luke notes he did not know what he was saying. Verse 34, while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. The next day, verse 37, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and it's destroying him. I beg your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Verse 42, even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him into the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave it back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. So we can hear this idea of peaks and valleys in Luke chapter 9. Uh, verses 28 to 43. Um, you know, Robert uh, Coleman wrote a very famous book called The Master Plan of Evangelism. If anybody ever read Master Plan of Evangelism? A few hands, a few hands. And uh, he talks a lot about how, how did Jesus do ministry? And he's, in one of his whole chapters is, is about this idea of men were his method. Uh, and it's interesting, Jesus calls the twelve, right? But within the twelve, he also had the three. And here he takes the three, eight days after Peter's confession... And Jesus' Messianic declaration, he takes the three, Peter, James, and John, as they're known, uh, with him up to a mountain, it says, to pray. And of course, as he's on that mountain, he's transfigured. He meets with Moses and Elijah. And they come back down to a, a bit of a sticky uh, situation. Uh, but it just shows you that Jesus, you know, part of his method and part of his plan to evangelize the world was to raise up leaders. And so I just... Uh, I really appreciate the church's uh, willingness to, to grow in our leadership and even this appointment of deacons. And the idea of that is, is us doing that, I believe. And that was part of, of Jesus' ministry and easy part of our strategy to really make disciples uh, in Birmingham as well. But that's a side note. Two uh, big points here uh, from this passage here. Uh, the first is I want to look at mountaintop moments. Mountaintop moments this morning here uh, from the per- first part uh, of the text. Um, you know, as I said, eight days later, uh, Peter takes James, John... I'm sorry, Jesus takes James, John, and Peter up to the mountain, he says, to pray. Um, Jesus' prayer life seems to be increasing. If you recall, the last time we looked at chapter 9, it says in verse 18, while he was praying in a private place, he said to his disciples, who, who do people say I am? And so Jesus, you know, as he's praying, he's, he's, then, he's then focusing on who he is. And so here again, it says he goes to a mountainside to pray, 
And then, of course, Moses and Elijah appear to him, and it says they talk through his departure. And then the Greek word can also be exodus. Because, uh, of course, he's about to go to Jerusalem, die on a cross, be raised again, and then, and then head back to heaven, because uh, his mission will be completed. Uh, and so Jesus' prayers, they're, they're increasing as the, the most important part of his life comes together, and it's about to here um, in Jerusalem. Uh, this will go on throughout the rest of Luke's gospel. Uh, Luke's gospel does emphasize prayer. Chapter 11. He'll be teaching his disciples to pray. We'll be studying that soon. Uh, of course, when he goes uh, the night before he's arrested, he's in Gethsemane. And what is he doing there? He's praying to God, you know, surrendering his will to God's will. Even when he's on the cross, a lot of what he says on the cross are prayers. He's speaking to God. You know, Jesus' life, as always, is an example, right? It's an example for ours. Uh, his prayer life is a, is, is, is a great example for us, I believe. And a lot we can learn, uh, even just from this prayer that he has here and what happens uh, afterwards. As he's praying, it says in verse 29, here in the text, it says, His appearance changed. So somehow he looked different. And it says his clothes were as white as lightning. Uh, we also know in Gethsemane, as he prayed, uh, in Gethsemane, Luke notes in verse 43, an angel from heaven appeared to him. And strengthen him. Again, this, this power occurred, this transformation occurred as Jesus was praying. And so prayer, you know, changed the Son of God. Prayer changed the Messiah while he was on the earth. And so surely it can change us as well. Surely it can transform our lives. Surely it can make a difference when we're weak uh, to find the strength sometimes that we need. And so as Jesus is praying here, he's, he's transformed. A little bit more of heaven comes down to the earth. That's part of his, his prayer that's recorded, uh, the, as, as we know, the Lord's Prayer, like in Luke 11, for example. He says, you know, Father, your, your, your kingdom come. And another translation of Matthew's account, he says, you know, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, that's, that's through our prayer. That's through our prayers oftentimes that we find those divine intersections in our lives as well. Because we all feel like we need more. We all feel like we need some, some transfiguration every time we come together. We all feel like we need some transfiguration in our lives and in our challenges and our prayer lives. Our prayer lives are an important part of that. Again, Jesus' life is an example uh, for us to follow. Um, we also see here, though, in just this idea that, that as he appears you know, uh, to Peter, James, and John, suddenly it changes. Uh, here in the text, um, it says as, he, as he's praying, it says... In verse 29 it says, the appearance of his face changed. And so, it wasn't that Jesus perhaps was changing, because he already was who he needed to be. It was just that Peter, James, and John perhaps were starting to see a little bit more clearly into who this guy really was. And what he was going to do in his fulfillment, uh, ultimately on the cross. Um, and it reminds me again of another passage in 1 John 3, 2. Uh, 1 John uh, 3 says that we're not quite we're, we, we're not quite what we appear to be. There's more to us. In 1 John 3, verse 2, he says that we are children of God. And so we, we know that spiritually speaking. But it says, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, uh, when we resurrect ourselves with him, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And so we're already God's children, it says, right? But we, we, we have this great potential still inside of us. And, and there's, there, there's more to come. And the best, according to this passage, in 1 John 3, verse 2, the best is still to come. Uh, and so again, this, you know, Jesus, he, he, He's our example that, yeah, maybe we're not where we need to be. You know, we all got things to work on, but, but the best is still yet to come. God is not done with us, right? We're still, we're still an unfinished product, if you will. And so Jesus, you know, as He's glowing here, it says that Moses and Elijah appear. They appear to Him, right? They appear to Him in, in verse 30. 
And they speak to him of his departure. Um, and it's quite interesting. These are probably the two most significant Old Testament figures. You've got Moses, the lawgiver, right? Uh, and then you've got Elijah. He was, he was the most miraculous prophet. He was, some say, the greatest prophet um, of the Old Testament uh, before, of course, John the Baptist came because Jesus gave him that title. Uh, and so it makes sense. You know, all these guys did uh, and all they were doing uh, was preparing uh, Jesus all they had come. You know, and die on a cross. Uh, and, and so now they're going over the final game plan, if you will. All, all the things Mo- Moses and all the other prophets, including Elijah, had done were, were pointing to this, this culmination of everything in the, in the history of humanity that was going to come together on the cross. And so Peter, you know, and, and, the, and John and James, they kind of wake up, they're a bit sleepy. Uh, and so they don't know what to do, so they decide to make some, some, some tabernacles, some temporary shelters for them. Maybe they, they wanted to have a mountaintop conference with them. I, you know, I don't know. It would have been pretty awesome, I'm sure. Um, that wasn't God's plan, right? In verse 34, uh, you, know, uh, you know, it says that a cloud appears, which in, in, the, Old, in the Old Testament was, was known as the Shekinah glory. You know, when God would appear, He'd often appear in some form of a cloud, and there would be light. And it would, be, it would be overwhelming to the Israelites, right? And this is kind of the same kind of uh, thing that occurs here um, in the text. Uh, it showed up at the mountain when, when Moses got the commandments. At the tabernacle, as well, the cloud appeared. And then, of course, in the desert, it would guide the Israelites along where to go from point A to point B in the 40 years that they wandered in the desert. And so this same kind of cloud here, uh, you know, appears. And, uh, and, and that, you know, I heard a preacher a while back, Daryl Reed, you know, he said, you know, we're all following the crowd or the cloud. Right, and, and, and when you follow the crowd, it, it, it just leads to your demise. When you follow the cloud, it leads to your glory. And, and that's exactly perhaps what God is doing here. You know, Peter, James, and John are focusing on, on humanity and maybe focusing on themselves. And God appears in this cloud, and, and what does He say to them? He says, This is my Son whom I have chosen. Listen to Him. He's pointing them. You know, he's pointing them toward something more glorious than perhaps uh, they could see. And so there's all kinds of stuff happening here in this in this mountaintop moment, this mountaintop moment here uh, in, in, in Luke chapter nine. You know, and I believe spiritually we all need these mountaintop moments. Life seems to be full of many valleys, not as many peaks. That just seems to be the nature of life. And but spiritually, we're not made just for the valleys. Spiritually, we're made for some moments. Just like what these guys are experiencing where we can see a little bit more of God's glory. See a little bit more of Jesus' nature uh, and be impacted by that and be encouraged by that, be strengthened by that. Um, and I'm reminded of them of a few here. You know, I think about our prayer lives. Our prayer lives are meant to, be, to bring mountaintop moments for us. We are, we are conversing with the Almighty. That, that, that should change our lives sometimes. That should, that should stir things up in our lives sometimes. That should give us hope when, we, when we've lost just, just our prayer lives alone. You know, I went out praying with Ruby, my new sister in Christ. Amen. And uh, I, go out, I go out almost every morning on a prayer walk, with, usually with my dog, Sid. But, you know, I try to take my daughter sometimes now. I've been repentant of that. I thought, if I'm only praying with my dog, anyway. Um, so Ruby and I were out praying. She was feeling some things she was stressed out about. And, and so I'm talking to her about it. And then we start praying about it. And I'm praying to God about you. And I realized, I actually need this prayer more than she does. She has this prayer. She's good. It's simple. And I'm sitting there like pouring my heart out to God about things I'm challenged with. And I'm thinking, I, I really needed this. And, and, and after that prayer walk, my, my whole mindset just shifted that day. It was just like in an instance, all these things I was burdened by, they were just gone. Because I just gave that to God in prayer. You know, and for me, that was a mountaintop moment. Uh, hopefully your prayer life, you know, as you go after it, will bring the same kinds of moments in your life. And maybe that's what you need to do today right after service. Yeah. Go out and you need to have that prayer time and then have that mountaintop moment 
uh, in your life. Um, you know, we, we see we see you know prayer can be that. We see as we see God's character here. Jesus, his appearance changes. Moses and Elijah show up. You know, these guys, Peter, James, and John, they saw a bit more. I think of of who Jesus was in that moment. When we read our Bibles and we really get what we're reading. And what what God is saying, or or who God is, again, those can be mountaintop moments. Sermons sometimes can be can be mountaintop moments. Communions can be mountaintop moments. Worshiping together, worshiping by yourself, those can all be mountaintop moments because God's nature and His character and who He is, it is beyond our comprehension, and it is more awesome than we will ever understand. But the more we can grasp that, the more we can experience those mountaintop moments. And I could go on and on, right? There, there are so many things, so many things uh, that God indeed can reveal to us and wants to reveal to us in these mountaintop moments. Life is designed. Life is designed. It's built into our life that we can experience those moments uh, just like Peter, James, and John are here, spiritually speaking. They may not be miraculous, but nonetheless they can change us and they can transform us if we would look for them in our lives. Um, I had a mountaintop moment uh, before Kenny left. Uh, we climbed uh, to the top of Mount Snowden. That's... Kenny took like an epic selfie. That was all Kenny there. I, I was very thankful. Uh, you know, we, we got to the top of Snowden there. But, you know, we started, we got to 6 a.m. We, we stayed overnight. This is kind of a going away present to him. And, uh, you know, we stayed overnight in this little hostel. And uh, we got up early in the morning and we, we went for it, you know. And uh, But I'll tell you what, it was a trek. It was a trek. Um, we, you know, we, we hiked for, I think it was about two and a half hours, but it was just... It was just an ascent. And I thought, you know, I'm ready for this. And by the end of it, I didn't know if I was going to make it. You know, we're, we're climbing over boulders and rocks, you know. And then, and then at one point, my pants ripped. Uh, you know, uh, I'm sorry, not my pants, my trousers ripped. And, uh, TMI, TMI for us. Sorry, sorry. American English to British English. Yes, my, my trousers ripped. And, uh, you know, we're running out of water, you know. And it was just one. It was just one of those moments, you know, where you're like, I thought I was up for this, but I'm not sure I'm going to make it. And of course, Kenny's like, you know, 25 and Mr. Fitness, and he's just kind of, kind of looking at me like, Are we going? Are, are, are you done resting? Let's go. You know, let's go, bro. You know, and that's I needed Kenny for me to get to the top. Um, but, but I bring that up because I think that's that's kind of the spiritual journey, isn't it? You know, we we see the mountaintop, we want to go there, but we often find ourselves in the valleys. You know, winded, <laughs> wanting some water, you know, but, but we gotta keep going. We gotta keep our eye on the prize. Ultimately, that's heaven. And that, that will be the mountaintop moment forever. Amen for that. That's gonna be a beautiful day. But, but in between, in, in between then and now, we're gonna, we're gonna hit those spiritual peaks. Right now, you may be in a valley. I understand that. I've had a lot of valleys this year. I, I get that, but but we got to keep going. we got to persevere. God wants to reveal Himself to us. God wants to strengthen us as we pray to Him. Uh, and hopefully my my journey to Mount Snowden will be similar to your spiritual journey. Anyway, when you get up there, the view, it's going to be worth it. When, when, when you persevere in prayer and God changes you, it's going to be worth it. When you dig in that Bible until you, until you understand God and you can trust Him, it's going to be worth it. When we persevere in our relationships through the ups and downs, it's going to be worth it. When we persevere as we reach the, the loss, it, it, it's going to be worth it. Those mountaintop moments, they're going to come, but we got to keep climbing. Amen? So mountaintop moments here. And finally, uh, this afternoon as we close out, the messy middles. you got mountaintop moments and you got messy middles. Sometimes that's how, that's how it feels, you know, the, the journey goes, doesn't it? You know, we start, things are going smooth. 
And somehow, all of a sudden, things are really getting confusing and twisted up. We want to get over here, but we're kind of stuck in here right now. The messy middles in life is what I want to talk about here to close. i, I got to attribute uh, this point to my wife. Uh, I learned this from her. Mandy is a prolific learner. Like, she just loves to learn. And uh, she's been teaching me a lot and giving me sermon references through her learning oftentimes. And uh, and she came across this concept of grit. And she was studying out this concept of grit. Grit is, uh, as, as she defined it, was is passionate perseverance for long-term goals. And Christianity teaches us to do just that. To have passionate perseverance toward long-term goals. And so the Christian life is a lot about grit, right? Um, and, and she was making this connection that she was sharing with me and my wife um, between the gospel story and, and our story as Christians and how and how in the beginning you know, of our, of our gospel stories and our, and our journeys toward heaven, it's often very exciting in the beginning, right? It's often very exciting, you know. Uh, but somehow, you know, uh, you know, the end, you know, is, is even more exciting and more glorious, right? And heaven will be just that. But, but a lot of the time we spend is in the middle, and oftentimes when you get in the middle of a spiritual journey or challenge, it gets messy real fast. It, it's, it's not, it's not glorious. It's not exciting. It's actually quite challenging. Um, and, and I love that because here in the passage, you know, there's a lot of mess despite the glory. Uh, you know, as Peter, uh, you know, as Peter, uh, James, and John are there with Jesus in verse 32. Um, here in the text, it says they were sleeping. Not just sleeping, they were very sleeping. But when they became fully awake, they saw His glory and the two men standing uh, with them. Uh, so it starts out by saying, you know, Peter, James, and John, they almost missed this. I mean, here's Jesus Christ talking to Moses and Elijah, and they almost slept through it. Wow, that's just crazy to think about for a minute. They almost missed it because they were sleeping. But, you know, spiritually, we can understand this. We get sleepy. God's glory is right there in front of us, and we just miss it sometimes, right? Because we're, we're not quite spiritually awake. You know, are we sleepy or awake to the reality of our spiritual lives? It's easy to drift along and miss real life. And then we're in danger of missing, you know, God's glory. Uh, and, and I got convicted recently, you know, uh, my wife pointed out to me, uh, God bless her, uh, and I needed it. Uh, you know, she'll be talking to me about things that are really deep or intense or whatever at times. And, uh, and as a husband, I'm sitting there and I'm listening, but I'm, I'm on my phone. Doing this, doing that, kind of, you know, da, da, da. And, and, and Mandy was sharing with me how she feels like I'm not listening. I'm like, no, I, I hear you. But, but here you are, you know, you're, you're, it's audible, but you're not really, you're not really with me if you're on your phone while I'm pouring out my heart to you. And, and, and once I put my pride down, I was like, I was convicted. It's like, she's right. Like she poured out her heart to me. And here I am, you know, here I am checking the weather, you know, and uh, seeing if I got another email and even replying to text messages. And, and part of that is I'm just easily distracted by an iPhone. And that, that's definitely part of the problem. Um, something about a screen, you know, just, I don't know. But, uh, but also it just revealed my heart. Just not really loving my wife. I'm just not really being a listener. You know, that I need to be. And then I thought about that and I thought, well, wow, I bet in the church I'm doing a terrible job of listening in the church too. Because this is just my nature. I'm not a good listener. And so I apologize to you if you felt like, hey, I came to Forrest, but he just seemed distracted. Right? I came to Forrest and I feel like I, I said what I need to say, but he, he didn't get it. I apologize to you for that. That's, that's something I need to work on. That's something I need to grow in. Uh, so that's an example, you know, uh, from my own life. I, I, I'm, missing the, I'm missing the glory of the moment, right? I'm missing the glory of the moment because I'm not quite spiritually awake as I should be. That, that's a little bit of my mess. Uh, and, uh, you know, Ephesians 5 talks about how Christ can wake us up, right? 
So as everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it says, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And then he concludes, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. We, we've got to stay spiritually awake and alert and in tune uh, with God and with each other. Otherwise, we will miss, we will miss out on the glory that is being revealed. And so that's that's part of the messy middle here, I believe. Uh, and then in verse 33, uh, back to the text here, uh, in verse 33 to 35, so so then Peter, you know, starts to just blurt out something. Hey, we should build some shelters for you. You know, this is great. And uh, and I love Luke. Luke says he did not know what was, he was saying. You know, Luke, Luke challenges him, you know, in the, in the parentheses there and gives his, his editorial comments. And, and it says in verse 34, while he was speaking... So God interrupts him. He says, boy, be quiet. You know, and uh, this is my son in verse 35, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. You know, sometimes we, we make a mess as religious people. And I think we're all religious people here because we're at church this morning in one form or another. You know, we make a mess because we just talk too much. We got too many opinions, too many feelings, too many thoughts, and we're just blurting it out. And we might mean well, but again, we can make a mess of things sometimes. And Peter's doing that. He's making a mess of this glorious moment. You know, you know, there's probably like some epic music in the background. And, and it, hey, raise your mess of judgment, you know, over the corner. God's like, be quiet. This is my son. Listen to him. God was very polite in the way he did it, obviously. You know, I think of uh, Ecclesiastes 5, 1 2. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Peter, James, and John were great leaders. I don't think anybody's going to deny that. But they were messing it up here. Perhaps with their with their mouths, with their, with their opinions. Um you know, the, the, so, so we've got to we got to make sure you know we, we take a step back sometimes when 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 we're challenged by God when we're challenged by each other to just be quiet and listen. And again, that's not something I'm great at. I'm, I'm learning that. I'm learning that a lot this year. So the mess continues. They they come off the mountain. God cleans up the mess by speaking through the cloud there in verse thirty five. But then in verse thirty seven, they come off the mountain to more mess. Right, more mess. Verses thirty seven to forty three, they literally come down from the mountaintop moment to a mess. A man has brought uh, Jesus, says disciples, I guess it would be the nine, right, at this point. You know, his son, his only son, who from what we can tell is suffering from some form of epilepsy uh, and also some form of demon possession from what the, the different gospels all give us of this account. Um, and so it's, it's a terrible thing. It's a, it's, it's a spiritual mess and it's a physical mess. You know, health and spiritual warfare combined at this poor little boy. And, you know, the man says in verses 40 to 41, I, I brought him to your disciples, but they, they couldn't help. And then, and then it makes you wonder, well, what did the disciples do to try to help? What did they do? Did they, you know, pray without faith? Did they rely on their own power rather than God's? Did they act religious rather than righteous? You know, you know we don't really know. The, the other accounts um, of this, in, in Luke 9, 37 to 43, the father and the son and the crowds, uh, the other accounts here uh, give us some insight, perhaps. 
Uh, after Jesus had gone indoors, this is after he heals the boy in Mark 9, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? Referring to the boy's demon. He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. And the uh, NIV footnotes, or prayer and fasting. Uh, then again in Matthew 7, 20, 17, 20, Matthew's account, Jesus says, why couldn't they drive it out? Because you have so little faith. I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And so, to me, the disciples, they were, they were just being religious rather than righteous. And whenever we do that as Christians, you know, just being religious rather than righteous, we often make more of a mess rather than cleaning up that mess and seeing God's glory uh, in our lives. Uh, you know, as Christians, we have great power available to us in Jesus' name. But when we rely on our own strength and we lack faith, uh, that's to me we're being religious rather than righteous. We're coming in the name of Jesus, but we're not really using the name of Jesus. We're proclaiming some kind of power that we've not really actually tapped into. And so we become more and more religious and less and less righteous. And so I, I think there's a real practical lesson here because we all struggle probably with all these things in one form or another. Uh, these challenges that have made this, this mess here uh, amongst the humans in the story, not Jesus of course. But I think there's a great practical uh, encouragement here for us uh, as to how to clean up the mess, if you will, right? Praise God for Jesus. He, he cleans up our mess, uh, spiritually and literally, uh, in so many ways. Um, uh, the text here, uh, in verses, uh, back to 37 uh, to 43, that, you know, the, the solution is quite simple if you think about it. Uh, in Luke 9, uh, verses 34 to 35, you know, as Peter's battling on, a voice interrupts him and says, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. God points Peter back to Jesus, right? And again, as, as the, the crowds come, the man comes. In verse 41, Jesus says, You unbelieving and perverse generation. Ouch. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? But then, of course, it says, Bring your son here. So in other words, with all of our mess, personally, collectively, we got to bring Jesus into it. It's, it's profound, but it's quite simple, isn't it? Bring Jesus into the middle of the mess. That's how you get out of the messy middle. You bring Jesus into it. Now that sounds like a nice religious cliche, right? You know, at first glance. You know, what exactly are we talking about here? Well, I was just thinking of, of a more tangible example of just our relationships. Our one another relationships. For example, when we have conflict. I mean, today's Remembrance Day. Pretty sobering things, you know, that were, were flashed on the screen as we had a moment of silence. The amount of people that died. And how did it start? You know, it started with a little bit of conflict amongst some leaders. And the next thing you know, millions and millions and millions and millions of people are dead. Conflict is a very dangerous thing, isn't it? Uh, you know, of course, the Bible gives us resolution in conflict. Matthew chapter 5 and 6 is full of it. Specifics, right? Jesus taught a lot about it. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, Jesus you know, talked about the extreme ends of, of, of conflict, that it could even push someone out of the church if they can't deal with that particular conflict. Um, and so obviously, you know, if, if, if I'm in conflict you know, with someone, or, or you're in conflict with someone, and you bring Jesus into it, it starts with his word. Like, what would he say about this? What, 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 is, what is his words that we have recorded in the scripture actually, does it give us insight? Does it give us, give us repentance? Does it give us clarity? Sometimes it's not always there with certain situations, and amen, that's, that's more challenging. Uh, but even, even if we don't have a clear scripture, but we, myself and someone else, we humble ourselves before Jesus in our conflict, 
I mean, 99% of, of, of my marriage conflicts with my wife have been resolved by me just being humble because of Jesus. To be honest. <laughs> it's not that I was so, oh yeah, I, I really get you, honey. Oh yeah, you know. I just, I just, I just adapted the female brain right now. It, done. It's done. I wish I was that sensitive. I wish I was that humble. But, but usually it's just, I know Jesus, you know, died on the cross because of my sinful nature. And surely something's causing it in this conflict with my wife. So let me be humble. Let me be humble. And I say 99% of our conflicts have been solved through that. And if, or she does that instead of me. And then when the other one humbles out in the marriage, it's kind of hard to be proud at that point on the other end of the marriage, right? And in our personal conflicts, it's not really that different. If we're really, even if we don't have biblical clarity, if we're both just humble before Jesus, maybe we can't We can't be like, oh, amen, I love you too. But we can at least get back toward each other a bit more. We can at least you know, work that out a little bit better than perhaps we have. But we've got we to gotta really bring Jesus into it. Because it's hard when we're hurt. It's hard when we've been offended. It's hard when, when we've been challenged by something. And amen. Hopefully we can find resolution. We can see it the same way. The Bible says strive for unity. Strive for like-mindedness. I think that, that we got to try to do that. We gotta have, but we've got to talk to do that. Um, and we've got to be humble to talk. And that's what we need Jesus. And if we can't see eye to eye, well then Matthew 18 gives you a, a protocol. If, if, if they're not listening to you, bring in somebody else. And if they won't listen to you, bring in the church. And if they still won't listen, it says they, they have to go. That was Jesus' own words, right? Uh, of course, uh, disfellowship men is the other extreme of conflict. You know, it's 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 to me we, we only would would have to divide if we if we can't if we can't resolve it. To me, we'd only have to divide if, if it's going to be heretical for the church. And that's of course where we get into disfellowship and things like that. Um, but in the in the midst of conflict and church discipline, it's messy. It's going to be messy. And we just we really need Jesus. We really need Jesus. And I think as a church, we've been learning this. I think as a church, we've got to keep working on this. I know personally as a leader, I've learned a lot in this area uh, recently, and I, and I got a lot more to learn. I got a lot more to learn. Uh, but but again, that's just one example, right? You know, in our in our ministries, you know, we want the victory, we want the breakthrough, we want to see our Bible talk doubled, we want to see you know God reach this area. But but we got to bring Jesus into that. We got to bring him into that because there's going to be a messy middle in that process. The beginning's always glorious, yeah, but, you know, but boom, you know, you you hit the conflict. Because it's a spiritual war. We, we are in a spiritual war. You think, you think you're going to set up to do something great spiritually in this city and Satan's not going to oppose you? He's going to absolutely oppose you. He's going to absolutely oppose me. And so we got to bring Jesus in. He's the one to help us, help us to stick it out. He's the one to get us through. And he's the one that will bring us to the victory. But we got to bring him into our ministries. You know, I think even with our kids, you know, it's, 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 it's messy raising children, literally. Come see my house most days of the week. <laughs> and we want them to, you know, grow up and be happy and healthy. We all want them ultimately to be saved. That's the, you know, that's the number one goal. Um, but, you know, even as a parent, there's always someone better than me in the house, and it's Jesus. And I've got to go back to Jesus and let him help me with my messiness that I bring into my parenting. And, and, and even if our kids don't get what we're saying or, or, or they don't become Christians, Jesus will give us the love and the patience and the perseverance and the faith to stick in there, even if they're adults. I know some of us have adult children who are not Christians right now, but, but Jesus can help you. Bring them into that. Bring them into that. And see what He can do. See what He can do. And I, I can go on and on. That's just one aspect of just a few aspects of our relationships. There are so many things. 
so many things if we just bring Jesus into it that are messy, that would that would that would get a bit cleaner. And that might even get turned around. And it might not take it might not take weeks. It might take a moment when we really bring Jesus in. That's how powerful He is. And this passage to me is just a great reminder of that. It's a mess. It's a mess. Jesus shows up. The other accounts say the teacher of the law there, and they're arguing with Jesus' disciples. So they're like getting, you know, they're getting ammunition out. Ah, oh, see, they couldn't heal him, you know. It's a mess. The boy's father's ticked off, and Jesus says, Bring the boy to me. Problem solved. Verse 43, how does it end? And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. You know, what mess in your life could you bring Jesus into, is the question. And practically speaking, what would that look like right now? To bring Jesus into that particular mess. When we bring Jesus in, somehow, sooner or later, it might not happen in the moment, it might take weeks, it might take years, you might not get it till heaven, but He will work. He will work when we bring Him into our mess. You know, let us never underestimate God's power. And God's glory that will reign supreme in, in the messy middle. Amen? If you're visiting with us today, I, I want to welcome you. We're glad that you are here. Whoa, hey. Don't do that. Uh, that was hard. Not as bad as last week. Um, if you're visiting with us, if, if you're searching for the perfect church, I want to apologize to you. You have not found it. And we got we got our challenges like like any other group of people, but but we really believe in Jesus helping us with our mess. We really believe that Jesus can can fix that and change that. And perhaps you're busy with us today because you know you need some help too. And Amen. We want to help you as a church, but we're always going to point you to Him. We're always going to show show you how He has cleaned up our mess and continues to clean up our mess. And we hope we can help you to allow Him into the middle of your mess. And He will He will transform it if you will let Him. And we hope you can allow us to let you. Uh, despite our imperfections. Uh, and so, amen. Uh, friends, church, uh, let us search for and find more mountaintop moments in life right now through Christ. They're out there. They're out there. Let's, yeah, we're in the valley a lot, but He wants to bring us to those mountaintop moments. And as we reach for the peaks, may Jesus' grace and truth in abundance get us through the valleys of our messy middles. And the Birmingham Church of Christ said, Amen. Amen. Thank you.